Hello, and welcome to the More Than Books podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Joel, and today I'm joined by Colin again, once again. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a little while since our last episode. Uh, we took uh, the month of October off because I was uh, busy getting married and going on my honeymoon in mm-hmm. Scotland and everything, so... Uh, Glad to be back. Glad to, to get to going to regular podcasts again. Yeah, or at least semi-regular. I know it's hard to hard to stay regular with as much. Uh, we'll as much see as how going the holidays. On. Yeah, the holidays go. Yeah, yeah. So for our topic today, back in back in September, Colin and I were both on a uh, a discussion panel, a lunch and learn here in the library about Game of Thrones. Um, we both watched the show and have read all the books and um, we had a kind of a, a group panel discussion about how we felt the latest season which was I think the seventh season I think um, so yeah went and our thoughts on on all of that and uh, kind of uh, talked about theories about the the new season and that's about uh, the last season I guess which will be not next year, but probably the year after. Really? Yeah. Is it officially confirmed I, to be 2019 now? I'm not sure it's been officially confirmed, but okay. that's what it, it's looking like. So Jeez. I'm still still crossing my fingers that they'll be able to wrap it up uh, <laughs> maybe next summer or fall. But uh, yeah, if it pushes so. all the way another year, I guess we'll have to wait. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> there are some people that work here that are going to be very unhappy yeah. about that. <laughs> So when it comes to Game of Thrones, you know, we're thinking about how, how this came to be such a phenomenon, because uh, this genre, the fantasy genre, was more or less dead on TV for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was dead in theaters for a long time, too, up until, I'm pretty sure, like, Lord of the Rings and uh, Harry Potter kind of revitalized it. Yeah, in, but uh, then even after that, it... Um kind of died again. Yeah, there was a lot of attempts to to uh, recreate the magic of those series that uh, didn't quite pan out. I know there was a lot of false starts on series that started and never finished. I remember New Line Cinema, when they released the trailer for The Golden Compass, it started off with a pretty cringy, like, we brought you the one ring, and now we're going to bring you the Golden Compass sort of thing. <laughs> and... Um, that never made it past one movie. It never made it past yeah. one movie. I don't think it did very well at box office. Yeah, and uh, I know the other big one that at least got got past one movie. I think it got three or four. The um, the Chronicles of Narnia. Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, did that get three movies or I four? Think, you know, I don't quite remember. <laughs> um, I do remember that that was the first time that I saw Peter Dinklage in a movie, who of course plays Tyrion in Game of Thrones. And um, when they announced that he was going to be Tyrion of Game of Thrones, I was like, awesome, because he was the best part about that Chronicles of Narnia movie. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It looks like, I think there were only three of them. Okay. Um, and the last one was in 2010. That was The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Yeah. So the 2000s were kind of like a little bit of a cinematic heyday for fantasy movies. <laughs> and then they quickly died off again. Yeah. Yeah, I, they, they quickly got uh, kind of overtaken by dystopian young adult <laughs> well, yeah, and I guess, and this may be getting too technical, and if it is, I'll just edit it out of the podcast later, but I guess what kind of happened is, within fantasy, I think when we say fantasy, most people know what we're talking about. We're talking about, like, quote-unquote, high fantasy, where it takes place in another world, and there's dragons, and there's elves, and all that kind of stuff. Token fantasy, yeah. or Dungeons and Dragons-esque fantasy. Right, right. and I think what happened was... Um, it kind of swung back towards low fantasy, which is fantasy that takes place in our world, just a few minor differences, and obviously young adult 
uh, fiction like the Twilight series and all of that are examples of low fantasy, and that became very popular for a number of years. Yeah. So. You know, urban fantasy is a new a newer mm-hmm. genre in that same low fantasy setting where it's like, it's fantasy, except it's in a city. So you have like a little like noir detective style going on um, in urban fantasy a lot. Yeah, 90s kids might remember Shadowrun. Which <laughs> um, is a great video fantasy. game series now. It um, is, at yeah. least, yeah, the, the Shadowrun Returns and uh, Shadowrun Hong Kong, Cyberpunk. And, and Dragonfall. Yeah. Oh, those yeah. are really good games. You know, to, to think about Game of Thrones now, you really have to go back to Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter a little bit and figure out what made those popular. Mm-hmm. Because it's easy to forget how big a gamble Lord of the Rings was, like yes. the movie trilogy, when it was originally made. Like, I think New Line Cinema funded and filmed all three of these very big blockbuster movies, massive budgets, mm-hmm. before... It was even a proven, um, a proven thing. Like they, they made a huge gamble making that series, and it really reinvigorated fantasy. Yeah, I, I think if, if that series had failed, New Line Cinema might have just gone away, because it was not only was it a gamble on you know a director who had some cult following, but not really much of a mainstream following, but it was a gamble on a. Genre, of course, that hadn't been popular since probably the 80s on the yeah, big the screen. Yeah, the 70s and 80s were kind of the heyday of the fantasy. I mean, mm-hmm. there's some great classic examples. I mean, they might not be great movies now, but I mean, I love looking back at like Sorcerer and Willow and... Dragon Slayer. Yeah, yeah. Dra- oh, God. Conan. <laughs> Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, I mean, these yeah. were great, fun um mid to low budget for the most mm-hmm. part uh, fantasy movies i know probably some of those may have larger budgets but for the most part they're you know low budget lots of practical special effects yeah and i just remember all like the matte paintings and those gorgeous like backgrounds in all those movies i want to know what the last movie to use matte paintings was because that's an art form i miss <laughs> yeah we could probably figure it out probably. that might be something i'll have to look up after this yeah for sure I don't know what killed that genre, but it was basically non-existent in the 90s. I, I'm, I'm struggling to think of any fantasy movie that was big in that decade. Do you remember Dragonheart? i got to bring this up. Okay, I do quick. remember Dragonheart. <laughs> I saw Dragonheart in the theaters when that came out, and I was like very Sean, excited. Sean Connery, the voice of the dragon, and the Did CGI. It? it was like they used CGI in that movie, but it was so early CGI. It was, yeah that it looks like a video game now. Like, it looks so bad um, now. I probably haven't seen it since I was a child. (laughs) I'm sure it hasn't aged well, but I remember seeing it in the theater and being completely blown away by how awesome the dragon looked (laughs) in that movie. Um, Yeah, it it does not hold up well. It does not hold up well at all. And uh, I think it flopped. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe if it hadn't flopped, maybe if it had been a better movie, uh, we would have seen a a fantasy revival in the 90s instead of in the 2000s, but... And I think maybe part of the problem was just the technology wasn't quite there. Like, in the mm-hmm. 80s and 70s, yeah, they did a lot of these practical effects, and they had, like, the, the Harryhausen-style stop-motion claymation animation. Yeah. Uh, which, it's charming, but it is kind of dated. <laughs> oh, definitely. And in the 90s, they were starting to experiment with CGI and new special effects, and it just wasn't there yet. Most of them, most of those 90s movies that dabbled in CGI haven't aged very well. The only exception I can think of 
Jurassic immediately Park. is Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. I actually think Jurassic Park looks better than Jurassic World. Jurassic Park looks better than The Lost World. Yeah, yeah it does. Like, it really does. And I think it's just a matter of they use more practical effects in Jurassic Park than yeah. than in the later ones. Yeah, less green screen yeah. as well. Yeah, that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. More miniatures and robots. I miss all that stuff. <laughs> That's why the in the uh, the new one, Jurassic World, the Velociraptors were the best looking dinosaurs because they still used a lot of animatronics for those guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, good good diversion. Good diversion. We had to throw a few. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so Lord of the Rings came along in and Harry Potter because I think they both came out the same year, didn't they? I want to say it had to have been very close because I remember yeah. in high school. Going to and seeing both of those uh, trilogy or like there was the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the original Harry Potter. There movies. were sharp divisions in my high school. If you were a Harry Potter person or a Lord of the Rings person, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, they came out a month apart. Oh, wow. <laughs> the, yeah, the uh, Fellowship of the out. Ring came out in December and uh, Sorcerer's Stone came out in no- or November. So they wow. were, yeah, Harry Potter actually came out first. And that's so funny because I remember yeah. seeing both of them in theaters. I just don't remember them being that close together. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then that seems like the next, what, the next nine years there was a Harry Potter movie. Yeah. <sighs> I'm kind of glad we didn't have to put up with that many uh, Lord of the Rings movies. I really liked them upon initial viewing, and I do mm-hmm. like them still. Uh, it's just the time commitment. Yeah, I think for yeah. the most part, if you really bad things aside they've aged pretty well but yeah the pacing at the time it felt great um, some of the cgi hasn't aged great especially in in the first movie but what has aged great are all the uh the practical effects and and peter jackson used a ton of amazing practical effects in those movies yeah he did. it's one of the main things that i think makes it separates the lord of the rings the original lord of the rings trilogy from the hobbit movies mm-hmm. that I don't even like to talk about. Yeah, no, it's very much a, a old Star Wars trilogy and the uh, prequel Star Wars trilogy yeah. thing kind of all over again. Where the first trilogy sure had problems, but they're basically classics. I mean, everybody likes them. And then the new trilogy comes along and the story or the focus isn't on story or characters anymore. It's all on technology. We're going to do lots of green screen. Everything's going to be CGI. And it kind of loses the heart. And I, I, I do kind of feel bad for, for Peter Jackson, the director of the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit trilogy. Um, fun director. I remember before uh, growing up, like he made a lot of low-budget horror movies, a lot of yeah. really gory, lots of fun practical effects. And, and it's like, who is this guy from New Zealand that's making like Dead Alive and Meet the Feebles, which is an insane movie with Muppets and gore. And there, He made some <laughs> nasty movies. I'm pretty sure I have some deep childhood scars from early movies of his. But I, I still love Dead Alive. I, want, I have to rewatch that at least once a year, but it's probably <laughs> one of the goriest movies. But it's gory in a... Fun way. Comic, like, yeah. it's like funny gory. It's, um, yeah, very, very comical. Uh, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's a messed up movie. <laughs> How you went from doing that to Lord of the Rings, the only connection I see is, again, that emphasis on practical effects. Uh, like what did he... He did a few movies for New Line in the late 90s, early 2000s. and was Frighteners. Frighteners, was yeah. With, um, with Michael J. Fox. Yeah, and I, I liked that movie when I was a kid. Yeah, I don't I know how too. well it holds up, but uh, he was experimenting with CGI already then. Mm-hmm. And he did the... 
Heavenly Creatures, which is more of a drama. I forgot he did that movie. <laughs> that was a really good movie, if memory serves. Yeah, yeah. There were some like weird kind of like dream sequences in that movie, weren't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. That were either like CGI or claymation or something weird. I don't really remember anymore. I don't remember. I don't know how we did it, but uh, yeah, there were some interesting, yeah. more more dream sequences. No, I totally forgot about that one. And I think that was a New Line Cinema movie as well. So he was in at the at the studio. Yeah. And I think he was the one that was actually pushing to get the trilogy made. Like mm-hmm. he was really excited about it. So they rolled the dice, and it worked out for him pretty well. Oof, I'd say very well. <laughs> it's, um, but uh, I feel bad for Peter Jackson because he never wanted to direct the Hobbit movies. Mm-hmm. He was a producer for them, and uh, they were kind of rushing him to production, and then yep. the director dropped out, and Peter Jackson basically had to step in. Just to save the years of work yeah, yeah. that had been put into them already. And that's the main reason the Hobbit movies uh, have a lot more green screen, have a lot more CGI, have a lot more... More of a messy, rushed production compared to the years that he spent preparing for Lord of the Rings. Well, and I feel like they're just kind of unnecessarily bloated as well. Lord of the Rings works well as a trilogy, even if maybe the individual movies themselves are a little too long. Uh, The Hobbit, I think most of us would agree, should have been one movie, maybe two tops. But to stretch it out to three movies is kind of madness. Yeah, yeah. The Hobbit, the book The Hobbit is tiny, yeah. uh, especially, I mean, compared to any single one volume of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It was like, a weekend read for me, so even as a kid. It's a couple hundred pages, whereas mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings books are, you know, 400, 500 pages each. Yeah. Know, some are much longer, <laughs> especially yeah. when you get into all the footnotes and... <laughs> the appendices. yeah. <laughs> Which I will even admit, when I read the trilogy, I had a hard time reading the book that went on for 300 pages after <laughs> the plot ended. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know t- that's what makes a uh, token token. A lot of uh, the people that are really obsessed with um, to- token uh, just really like the detail that he puts into the world and world building. I mean, you love him or you hate him. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I've reread them, but I definitely fostered a pretty significant love of Tolkien throughout my middle school years and my high school years, and probably a little bit of early college as well. Yeah, I mean, especially post release of the the movie trilogy, it was like oh, I was pumped was, for that. It was huge. <laughs> it was. It was a big yeah. deal because yeah. the only adaptations we had of Lord of the Rings before that were a handful of weird animated movies. But I still watched those religiously as a kid because I, that was all I had. <laughs> those, uh, who was the, the Bakshi? Bakshi. Yeah, like those old 70s mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings movies. With all the weird rotoscoped animation. and Yeah. Yeah, those were trippy That's, and strange and probably not very good. But they're so, that was 70s, right? It was like the 70s or early 80s, but yeah. either way, it's so... <laughs> well, and what was frustrating as a kid that loved Lord of the Rings and wanted there to be Lord of the Rings movies was Bakshi's was incomplete. It stopped like halfway through the Two Towers, the second book in the series, and then some other animation studio that had previously done an adaptation of The Hobbit came in and basically like finished it up, but in a completely different animation style with a different voice cast. And uh, it was nonsense. <laughs> I was very disappointed. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that brings up uh, the news that just launched. And this most likely relates to the success of Game of Thrones, which we will come back to. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Amazon Studios, uh, 
which Amazon Video and Amazon Prime um, just purchased the rights to the Lord of the Rings trilogy or the entire Lord of the Rings series. Yeah. Um, it's a little unclear what they mean by to the rights to Lord of the Rings at this point, but we can dive into that a little bit. Yeah. $200 million. Mm-hmm. They purchased the rights for this uh, series for $200 million. And I also just saw um, that, uh, I believe it was, was it Christopher Token, or what's his name? Uh, yeah, Christopher. Uh, he resigned as director of the Token Estate just this week. Really? Yeah, so uh, November 15th is uh, when the news broke. How did I miss that yeah. news? So that's a thing that I, I just, yeah, just remembered hearing about. That's interesting because he... Um has been a very vocal opponent of a lot of adaptations of his father's work, as well as um, a very, kind, I guess you could say a positive figure for getting a lot of his father's work out there. Yeah, that's kind of hard to I guess he's 93 process. years old, so it kind of makes sense. No, that, it does yeah. make sense. <laughs> yeah, um, he's 93 years old, um, and he's dedicated his life to preserving his father's work. He has, and he's, yeah. I mean, He edited hate all, him. like, the Silmarillion, and, yeah. like, he's the reason that we have that. Yeah. Those stories. No, yeah, people people definitely are of mixed opinion about him, but I mostly think he's done a good job because, exactly, we have the Silmarillion because of him, we have Tolkien's translation of Beowulf because of him, and if you are, is it weird to say Beowulf fan? <laughs> if you are a Beowulf fan, <laughs> there that's, are that's kind of like a holy Beowulf grail. Fans Man, I there. own like... I used to own a half dozen different versions of Beowulf. I Anybody kind of that's down a little. in a classic Brit lit or like that's like the Holy Grail of other than you know the Holy Grail stories, <laughs> classic Brit lit. Yeah, yeah. classic Anglo-Saxon literature. Yeah. No, that's big news. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm I wonder if that's in any way related. Like he just sold the rights to Amazon because he was planning on stepping down. Well, I guess like, we can. This, this leads right back into what we mean by Lord of the Rings rights, because I was confused by this, because years ago, after Lord of the Rings, but before The Hobbit, you know, they wanted to, instead of just making like a trilogy of Hobbit movies, they wanted to make like a new trilogy or a new uh, couple of movies where one of them was going to be Hobbit and the other one was going to be like um, prequel material to The Hobbit um, to kind of, or material that bridges The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Um, just to kind of make it seem all more cohesive. Yeah. But um, they had the rights only to Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, not to any of the other Middle-Earth material, like and, the Silmarillion. And they were going to lose the rights to The Hobbit, which is another reason that the movie got had to be made. pushed when it did. Yeah. yeah. So with this Amazon sale, I just assumed that what happens is they've got access to all of the um, stories and lore that are in the appendices of Lord of the Rings, which is what they were originally going to base that prequel or that bridging material off of but if christopher tolkien has stepped down from the tolkien estate maybe they've actually acquired more than that maybe we could see some of these million stories adapted is a lot of money for just appendices just appendices and in between writing so i don't know yeah um but uh, um, amazon's planning on producing a tv show i'm really curious to see how this pans out <laughs> And I don't know, everything about it just makes me a little wary or a little uneasy <laughs> about how it could turn out. Because, I mean, Amazon does have a pretty decent track record. Uh, they've made some good shows. Um, I know their uh, Philip K. Dick uh, show that they have, um, Man in the High Tower. Man in the High Castle. Uh, ha- High Castle, yeah, yeah. is uh, 
very well reviewed. I've watched, I haven't watched the entire thing, but I watched about half the first season and I was liking it. Um, okay. I just need to get back to it. My thought when I first heard the news is we, we all know that everyone wants to have the next Game of Thrones, HBO included. It looks like they're just going to be looking into doing spinoffs of Game of Thrones for their next Game <laughs> of Thrones. My thought was that Amazon was like, hey, let's get the rights to the Lord of the Rings, like the grandfather of all modern fantasy, because that's what people want now. They want fantasy. And I don't know if that is what people want. What, what do people enjoy about Game of Thrones? Is it the fantasy or is it something else entirely? Yeah, because it seems like Game of Thrones is is, and we. If you're interested in hearing us get really deep into Game of Thrones, you should listen to that uh, lunch and learn that we recorded. Um, we do have it in the archives, and we'll link to it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. I think part of Game of Thrones, uh, it felt very fresh, and it had a different target audience than like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It was very adult, um, mm-hmm. lots of adult content, but uh, the less the fantasy stuff because game of thrones really is subdued when it comes to fantasy especially early on in the series yeah it's it's technically a high fantasy but when you read it or watch it it feels like a low fantasy yeah maybe that's this is part of what got people like hooked on game of thrones without feeling like oh it's a it's a nerd thing yeah it's a nerd thing because (laughs) i mean while while the first scene in the show does have like the ice zombies Yes. in it that quickly goes away and doesn't come back for like four seasons <laughs> yeah it, it focuses at least again in the early books and in the early seasons there's no quests to save the world um it's all about characters it's all about political entanglements uh, it's all about warfare it's all about just treachery and backstabbing and and it's, it's got ridiculous. like that mystery element to it that yeah. uh, keeps people coming back and exactly you know, and it was unexpected. It subverted um, all the tropes that we know about fantasy. Where you know, right. I'm, I don't think we're going to spoil anything if we say that one of the main characters of Game of Thrones dies in the first season, mm-hmm. like in like the penultimate episode, like that kind of thing. Like it's it's a surprise to the audience, at least at the time it was. I mean, that's yeah. kind of a trope of its own at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, Game of Thrones has become kind of a trope in and of itself where yeah. now you just go into each new season expecting a major character to die in the penultimate episode. Yeah, like what uh, what's the plot twist going to be now and yeah. but the thing is as Game of Thrones has gone on it's um it's sharpened a little bit to the point where it is almost a cliche fantasy. Like the mm-hmm. the uh, those surprises are fewer and far between. Characters suddenly have that plot armor that they the, in the early seasons, you didn't feel like characters had a plot armor. You felt like anybody could die at any time. Mm-hmm. But in the later seasons, it feels like we know this character is going to survive because this has to happen. Like, yeah, yeah. It, um, it's getting more typical fantasy as it goes on, and there's more fantasy elements introduced. And there's potentially, even now, yeah. uh, without giving away too much, a save the world quest yeah. that's going on. It's almost to its detriment that... It's getting more like a typical fantasy. Mm -hmm. The things that I really liked about it, especially when it started, was that subversion. Right. And I'd like to see that explored a little bit more. Right. Rather than turning it into, oh, 
ice zombies versus dragons, and suddenly, like, like where's the backstabbing and the... <laughs> Which is why I'm confused as to Amazon's purchase of Lord of the Rings. Because yes. Lord of the Rings is not about backstabbing and political treachery and maneuvering, and it's, you know, a very straight good versus evil um, tale of heroism. <laughs> and, like, common people rising to the greater good and all that kind of stuff. So did Amazon just waste 200... <laughs> like, I think people will still watch it because it's uh, Lord of the Rings, and people love Lord of the Rings still. But is it going to draw in the sort of record-breaking crowds that Game of Thrones drew in? And, you know, as we mentioned, with, you know, one season left of Game of Thrones, HBO is already planning on milking it dry and probably mm-hmm. making a spin-off series or multiple spin-off series. Yeah. Cuz there's a lot of uh similar to Lord of the Rings, there's a lot of like background stories that oh, sure. George R. R. Martin has written um about the ancient history of Westeros and and in some cases the and, not so ancient history. Um just kind of like the fathers and immediate forefathers of the characters in the um current series. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of untold stories that are pretty interesting, and they have, you know, the lore there. But my worry about prequels is that, I mean, unless you're going ancient history, you get the Star Wars problem where, Mm -hmm. all right, the prequels, all right, you know what the end is, and it's just the journey to get there. And it's a lot less interesting than than not knowing, you know? Yeah, instead of telling a new story, it's just trying to kind of add itself onto an existing story without necessarily yeah. adding anything new. And I think that's my problem with like the, the new Harry Potter movies too that they're making, the Fantastic Beasts yeah. series. I haven't seen the first one, but that's kind of what I heard. The first one's not great. Yeah. Um, and I just heard that the second one, like they're casting it and filming it right now, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just turning into a normal prequel series. Like you have Jude yeah. Law playing young, um, the young version of Dumbledore, <laughs> like, <laughs> like in in the movie. So I'm like, is this just gonna? All right, we. The thing is, like the threat. All right, so <laughs> nerd out on Harry Potter just a little bit. Like the threat of the original series is, you know, just the worst wizard since this previous wizard. Right. Like, oh my, he's even worse than the than <laughs> Voldemort's worse than Grindelwald. And then the prequel series is. Oh, we got to see what happens with Grindelwald. It's like, why do we care? We already saw, <laughs> we already saw someone worse than him get d- beaten by a mm-hmm. by a teenager. So, <laughs> why do why do I want to go back and watch Grindelwald get beaten by Dumbledore or whatever? <laughs> I mean, I get that you, fans of these properties uh, get really excited about the lore of these properties. Yeah. I kind of fall into that trap every now and again as well, especially when it comes to something like Lord of the Rings. Tell a new story. That's yeah, all I want. That's what I want, too. Like, I was excited the other day when I saw that um, Disney announced that they were going to... Well, excited and nervous. And <laughs> that Disney announced that they were going to do another Star Wars trilogy, but this one was going to have nothing to do with any of the Skywalker stuff or the Death Star stuff or any of that. It was just going to be a completely brand new thing just set somewhere else in the galaxy where different stuff is going on. If that actually happens, I'm 100% for that because that's what I want from Star Wars. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I want. And that's yeah. been my main issue with, I think, Disney's acquisition of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And we're we're going in another diversion, but that's all right, or digression. It's, but it's that's kind fine. of fantasy. It's related still. because yeah. Star Wars is kind of space fantasy. I know it it's is. space opera, but... You know. Yeah. It's uh, got magic space wizards and <laughs> sword fights and stuff. But yeah, that's the thing. Like, I feel like Disney bought Star Wars and has been making these movies, but they haven't been trying anything new with no, them. They've they been 
the the first movie of the new trilogy um, was basically very similar to A New Hope, and yep. then the second movie was a prequel to A New Hope, and then <laughs> the third movie, I mean, actually looks pretty interesting. I, oh, I hope it's good. I already have my tickets for the uh, for it um, opening weekend. Oh, I should do that. <laughs> But, I mean, we're we're kind yeah. of bagging on these movies a little bit, but, <laughs> but we're still paying. We're money still to go paying to see money them. to go see them and still pre-ordering <laughs> yeah. the tickets because we love them. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. But like Han Solo movie, like I don't need a Han Solo prequel. I don't need no, like you. these character movies. Like, give me, give me Knights of the Old Republic. Give me something completely different. Yeah, yeah. That'd that be awesome. I think that would be more fun. And that's why part of me hopes that maybe this is what's this. Um, this uh, Amazon Lord of the Rings deal is going to be. It's going to take these unrelated stories from back in the mists yeah. of Middle Earth's time, history, whatever, and um, tell these new stories that have nothing to do with Frodo or the Ring or Sauron or any of any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's like I, you have a whole huge world to play in. Go play in a different yeah, part, corner of it. It would be great. Uh, tell a different story. I would be surprised if that's actually what winds up happening. <laughs> I bet it'll very much try to tie into what we already understand of Lord of the Rings within the cinematic universe of Lord of the Rings. Or it'll go in a really bad direction, like a lot of the Lord of the Rings video games have gone in and... Try to be dark and... Ruin everything, yeah, in my opinion. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna try to Game of Thrones it and make it like an adult yeah. fantasy when that's not what Lord of the Rings is. And the new not... one, for all of you Lord of the Rings fans who don't pay attention to Lord of the Rings, if there's any Lord of the Rings fans listening to this, who don't pay any attention to Lord of the Rings video games, in the new video game, I think Shelob, the horrific spider who almost killed Frodo, is a sexy lady instead. The horrific <laughs> spider. Just, that takes the form of a spider yeah, or something. That, that's, that's the direction <laughs> that, yeah. that it's going in, and it's really bad. Yeah. Yeah, I've I heard about that. That seems a little weird. <laughs> but, you know, video games. Yeah, video games. Though, I will say, and this is a good, good time to bring up since we're talking about video games, um, that ties in. Um, yeah. Netflix just bought the rights to the Witcher series, mm-hmm. which actually uh, started off as a book series uh, in Poland by, mm-hmm. and I'm going to I'm gonna butcher this guy's name. So it's, Bless uh, you for trying, because I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> Onzey Sapkowski. On, yeah. Onzey Sapkowski. Sounds uh, right to me. I, uh, I, 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 yeah, sorry, I don't speak Polish. But nope. uh, yeah, very popular book series in Poland in the... 90s, mm-hmm. right? I think early to mid 90s. Yeah, early to mid 90s, and um, they have some English translations. I actually just bought one and have started reading it. Yeah, I read one of the short story collections <laughs> um, that was translated into English. But uh, it got and turned into a video game. Got turned well, and even before that, in the early 2000s, oh yeah, there was, was a movie, a, wasn't there? Yeah, I think it was a TV series. It might have been a movie. I could be wrong. Uh, it was a movie or a TV series in the early 2000s in Poland um, that looked awful because I found clips of it on YouTube just <laughs> out of curiosity. And it looked pretty bad. But then it got turned into a series of video games that kind of took the world by storm a little bit with the quality of the writing and the characterizations. It didn't really, like, explode until the third one, though, right? Like The first two were really popular with certain gaming communities, like the kind of old-school RPG fans. Um, but, yeah, the third one was really where it kind of blew up into the public consciousness. Yeah. Um, and it's great, high fantasy, uh, more dark, uh, probably dark tone, I would say. Yeah, it kind of depends on the angle at which you approach it. 
I actually think that The Witcher might be closest in tone to Game of Thrones and therefore might be more interesting to Game of Thrones fans because it is a high fantasy world like Game of Thrones, but the fantasy elements uh, tend to be kind of downplayed a little bit. Yeah, it's it's more about the character stories. It's more about the and characters. Use... It's more about the politics, yeah. just like Game of Thrones. Um, so if you don't know anything about The Witcher, the, uh, the plot is... Uh, about uh, a guy named Geralt, Geralt of Rivia, who is a witcher, which is a monster hunter for hire, like a mm-hmm. bounty hunter that goes out and uh, gets hired to dispatch of monsters that are terrorizing towns or castles or just the countryside. They tend to be kind of shunned as outsiders by everybody, but... Uh, the witchers, that Yeah, is. the witchers tend yep. to be shunned, but uh, at the same time, they can handle the uh, the supernatural phenomena and most of the monsters are from folklore like mm-hmm. so it's a lot more of like banshees and ghosts and vampires and swamp monsters and witches and yeah <laughs> just speaking as yeah. a little bit of a fantasy nerd the witcher is really interesting because so much of what we get in fantasy is based off of either norse or english uh folklore and mythology and what makes the witcher so unique is that yeah, you get a little bit of that Norse and like Anglo-Saxon stuff, but you get a lot of German fairy tales and a lot of like Slavic legends and myths. Definitely has a different uh, different vibe than I think some of, like and a darker vibe and like I think one of my favorite uh, segments of the uh, third Witcher game was just like he went into a fantasy world that was super dark like versions of fairy tales from mm-hmm. that, that we all know like little red riding hood and it's like four blue or five beard different... little red riding hood yeah. uh, jack and the beanstalk like it kind of like almost kind of like sarcastic kind of postmodern approach to it in a really like you get to like way. rapunzel's tower and yeah. you find her body hanging by her hair like she killed herself because no one came to save her <laughs> and it's not just that it's dark it's really dark but... i mean it is really dark <laughs> but i also think the witcher series are really kind of like funny and weird like on one one hand like everything's kind of like pastoral and nice and the countrysides are all lovely but then the peasants are all kind of dumb and superstitious and mean and ugly and they just shun the main characters, but they also need help because these peasants are starving and bandits are taking their food and warmongers are taking their food and then monsters are taking their food and then they have to pay the witcher to get rid of the monsters. And There's lots of good horror elements and I really yeah, like, there I are really some, like horror elements. some old school horror stories. So that's, yeah. it makes them a little more fun, I think. <laughs> Like you can have a nice political intrigue and then have a werewolf story thrown in there for good measure. Well, that's the yeah. other thing, too, is The Witcher, both, I think, in book form and in video game form, is very episodic. It doesn't necessarily tell like this big, huge, connected arc um, like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings does. I have um, a feeling they're probably going to try to adapt Geralt's story. I feel but. like they probably will too. The 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 other kind of slight problem I have is that I actually think, and granted, I've to be fair, I've only read one of the books, and again, it was a short story collection. I actually think the writing in the video games is a lot better than it is in the books. Um, <laughs> yeah. To the point where I would consider like moments of the most recent game to be more just interesting on a literary level than many of the moments in the one book that I read were. 
I know a lot of, a lot of like mainstream TV people who watch Game of Thrones and stuff like that probably haven't heard of The Witcher, but I definitely think it's one to keep an eye out for in the future because it could potentially be up your your alley. I have I have high hopes for it. Um, I think it'll scratch an itch that I don't currently have on TV. Like, give me something to watch in that uh, kind of dark fantasy, yeah, dark, dark high fantasy that you know, kind of pulpy. Yeah, like Game of Thrones does scratch that itch, but it's so few and far between. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and Game of Thrones also focuses focuses on so many characters, yeah. whereas The Witcher has like a very small core group of main characters so you might get some richer characters coming out of something like the witcher potentially obviously you know yeah, it could come happen. out and it could be terrible it, yeah, yeah it very uh, well could then be. i'll be sad so. yeah no i would be sad too because i think it's one of the more special fantasy properties of the last 30 years uh, is there any other uh big name projects on the horizon that we haven't touched on those are the two big ones uh i do know that and we mentioned it briefly at the start um, that uh, the His Dark Materials trilogy, of which the Golden Compass is the first installment, is looking to get a reboot by BBC okay. for television. So there was a uh, attempt to start this series cinematically in the, I think, mid to late 2000s, after Lord of the Rings was so popular, and it did not work. The movie wasn't great. It didn't make a lot of money. And New Line kind of just canceled the remaining two installments. But the book series itself, I think, is an excellent uh, fantasy series. Uh, for my money, it's one of the better ones written, ever written, I would say. So if the BBC can do a good job with it, I am all for that. I would be very interested in seeing how that turns out. Yeah. I'm never going to get my uh, my big-budget Discworld Terry Pratchett movie. <laughs> that <am> seems I... <laughs> unlikely. Yeah, man. I know the BBC has done a few, uh, a few, like made-for-TV movies in the Discworld world, but I mean, uh, some of this stuff would be so readily adaptable. Yeah. Um, the stories that I like best are the ones where, like, death is the main character. Yeah, <laughs> the death ones are fun. Yeah, and uh, the just, Night's Watch ones are fun too. So I don't know if I've read any of those. Yeah. Um, it just it does it boggles my mind that somehow, to my knowledge, those have not been made into movies or TV series at the very yeah. least. Yeah, there's been a couple BBC okay. adaptations, but they're typical BBC yeah. like holiday specials. That's sort of the problem of with BBC is they've actually adapted yeah. a lot of really good stuff, but they usually don't do a very good job of making memorable <laughs> adaptations. At least yeah. not of fantasy stuff. Obviously some of their like, you know, period piece stuff is pretty memorable. But yeah. um I know they are making uh I don't no, if the BBC is involved at all, but uh, Good Omens, the Terry Pratchett, uh, Neil Gaiman, is that? Oh, yeah. Is that Neil Gaiman? I think that was Neil <laughs> Gaiman. And, I mean, speaking of which, I know that um, American Gods by Neil Gaiman is going very strong on whatever channel or service that is. Yeah, yeah, that's on, um, I have I have the channel, I, <laughs> there's one, Stars. Stars, okay. Outlander is on. Yeah, and that's a stellar example of low fantasy, again, in action. Oh, yeah, yeah, Good Omens is, is uh, being made with uh, David Tennant. Interesting. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. So, uh, that'll be good, that'll hopefully. <laughs> yeah, so there's some good stuff to look forward to, but I do wonder if 
all of these are just going to kind of turn into um, what happened to all the failed fantasy movies in the 2000s that tried to be the next Harry Potter, the next Lord of the Rings. Yeah, you um, don't see a sequel to Aragon in the theaters at all, no, do you? No, and for, yeah. for good Because, yeah. Um, yeah, of course, you know, I think maybe the three big ones that failed were Aragon, Chronicles of Narnia, which arguably didn't fail because they got three movies out of it, so that's pretty good for them. And um, granted, three movies out of, I think, a seven-book series. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the His Dark Materials trilogy, the Golden Compass. Um, and then there were countless others that didn't make it very far. So I wonder, really, if Game of Thrones is just going to be kind of the, the beginning and the end of <laughs> the popularity of high fantasy on television, uh, much like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings are the only two things we, we remember and still watch to this day from last decade uh, with regards to high fantasy on cinema. But it does say something about um, the fact that this stuff is going to be popular on television, or they're pushing for it to be popular on television rather than pushing for it uh, on the big screen. Yeah, and my hope that is that the ser- serialized nature of TV will make for richer adaptations. Um, they're not going to have to cram as much into a three-hour bloated movie mm-hmm. when they can do an episodic, like, 45-minute TV show. Um, yeah. So hopefully, you know, The Witcher on Netflix and... Lord of the Rings, whatever they decide to do with it on Amazon, uh, will will be good and worth watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm hopeful. <laughs> I'm also nervous, and I think part of that is because as much as I see that uh, the, this long-form fantasy stuff is probably better suited to television than it is to movies, I've always liked um, movie storytelling more than television storytelling, because as long and as bloated as Lord of the Rings is, it's over in like 10 or 11 hours, maybe 12 hours if you're watching the extended cuts. Whereas how many hours have we had to spend with Game of Thrones so far to get the whole story? <laughs> and granted, Game of Thrones is a much longer work, but even if we just took the first three books from Game of Thrones, I think that took up the first four seasons of Game of Thrones, which is 40 hours of our of our lives <laughs> which is fine because again i get it you know you've got more characters you can develop them more fully you can explore these more intricate plots more thoroughly i don't know that's an existential crisis there i don't know if we need to touch on how many hours of our life that we've spent <laughs> in a fandom or sure. watching and re-watching no. things because i've seen most of the seasons of game of thrones more than once so. <laughs> oh, really? yeah. no i'm not quite that dedicated <laughs> but you know then i stop and think about it and i think well obviously i've spent more than 40 hours just rereading or reading the first three books of Game of Thrones. Well, I think that's probably about all the time we have. I mean, there's a lot to a lot to look forward to, though, or a lot to... <laughs> a lot to dread. Yeah, a, yeah, a lot to dread, too. Yep. We'll see. <laughs> all right, well, thank you, and uh, see you next time. Yeah.